Hey, uh, I wanted, before we get started today, I wanted to kind of give us a heads up as to what's going to be happening in the next few weeks. Um, I'm super excited. We're starting our 21 days of prayer and fasting next Sunday. All right, so next Sunday is day one of the 21 days. So it'll go from March 27th through April 16th. So here's what that means. You're going to fast through April 16th, and you're going to wake up on Easter morning, and you're going to eat some bread and some sugar, and you're going to break the fast, and you're going to come to church, and we're going to have a good old time. Does that sound like a plan, everybody? Come on. I'm super excited about it. Yeah. But I wanted to talk to us a little bit about fasting. Some people in here, you may have never gone through a time of prayer and fasting in your life. And so I wanted to, we're going to do two messages today. All right, y'all are getting two for the price of one. And uh, Bryson, my gosh, I just made my day. She got me off track. I don't know what I'm talking about right now. Uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. So I wanted to kind of teach on fasting. And then after I'm done doing that, we're going to get into the message a little bit. But I wanted to get us ready for next week because here's what I know. Prayer and fasting will change your life. You make this a part of your life. I guarantee your life is going to change. Um, and I'll get to this in a second. This church would not exist if it weren't for a time of prayer and fasting. God has a way of just speaking to you when you clear out the noise of your life and just let him speak. So I want to speak on fasting just really quick. Then we'll dive into a quick message. I'll get you out of here by 1.30. All right, so y'all just hang with me and you're going to be out of here, okay? So, But I want to just encourage you. I want to remind you what fasting is and what fasting is not. First thing is this, and write this down if you can. Fasting is not about what you're missing. It's about what you're getting. I think a lot of times if you're used to fasting, if you do this, it's so easy to make it about what you're missing. Like, well, I'm just not going to eat sugar for 21 days or I'm going to give up bread. I'm going to, and then when you focus on what you're missing, all you're doing is making yourself miserable. Fasting is not about that. Fasting is about what you're gaining. I, I want us to understand, like, fasting is not about what you're giving up. If you're giving up some sort of food for the fast, and you make it about the food you're giving up, you're not getting anything out of the fast. You're just making yourself hungry. Like, this is how this works, right? Like, it's just, you're just going to be hungry, right? Like, you're not going to get the spiritual side of it. But if you focus on Hey, this thing that I'm missing right now, the sugar, this caffeine, the social media, like whatever I'm giving up, that's to remind you of who God is and who we are. And so we can focus on, okay, it's not about what I'm giving up. It's about what I'm gaining. And what you're gaining is more of God's word. You're gaining more prayer. You're gaining more worship. You're, you get to feast on those things. So fasting is not about what you're missing. Fasting is really about feasting on the right things. And so that's what it's about. Second thing is fasting Helps us say no. Y'all say no. Yeah. Come on, some of us need some help saying no sometimes. Fasting is not, uh, it helps us say no to the things we want so that we can say yes to the thing that God wants. So what fasting does is actually, it builds in a little bit of discipline into your life. Uh, I like to think of it like this. is uh, How many of you have ever had a car that had alignment issues? Like you get on the interstate, it just wants to pull right. Anybody, am I the only one that's ever had an out of the line car? Okay, so uh, fasting or like uh, it goes. So you, you have a car that's out of the line, and you're driving down the interstate, and it pulls to the right, right, or it pulls to the left, and you have to relearn how to like drive your car. You're like, okay, if I angle the steering wheel 27 degrees to the right, I'll actually be going straight, and uh, I can avoid this problem of getting my car realigned because it's expensive, right? You don't want to do that. But here's what happens when you let a car ride. And I know what I'm talking about. I'm a mechanic, right? Like I, I don't, a mechanic told me this because I've made this mistake too many times. 
is when your car is out of alignment, one of your wheels is actually kicked to the side and it's essentially scooting down the road. So it's rubbing a bald spot on the inside of your tires. And eventually that tiring won't take it anymore. It's going to blow up, right? And you're going to die. They're saying, that's what he told me. So I was like, replace all tires, please, right? Like, he may have been trying to sell me. But what happens is when your car is out of line, it doesn't just affect your steering. It affects a lot more things in your car. Our spirit is constantly trying to pull to one side. We're not wired to want the things of God a lot. Like this is who we are. We're humans. And so your spirit is out of the line a lot of times. And what fasting does, it helps us say no to that and then center ourselves with God and say, okay, God, I, I, I'm going to say no to this so I can say yes to you, what you want. And it's like a way that we can get our car back in a line and we can go the way that God wants us to go. I've heard it said like this, when you, whenever you're fasting, it helps flex your no muscle. Come on, some of us, we have a weak no muscle. We'll say yes to anything. Like, hey, can you help me do this? Yes. And you're miserable. The whole time. You just, you, it's hard to say no. Some of us have this problem here. For some of us, like me, Man, it, fasting helps me say no to food. Like, I'm like, okay, I got to flex my no muscle, right? Like, I got to say no to this because I really want to say yes to God. And in those moments where I want to say yes to the wrong things or I want to say yes to things that can clog up my life, I can say yes to God. I can spend some time praying. I can spend some time in God's word. And fasting will help us say no to the things that we want so that we can say yes to the thing that God's want, that God wants. Third thing and the last thing is fasting creates fertile soil for things to grow. Now, um, I, I, we did not set out and go, all right, we have this 10-year plan. Uh, in five years, we're going to try to start this church. And then after that, we're going to know. Like, we did not. This was never in the plan of our lives. Like, I never wanted to. I never thought that I wanted to come start a church. I always thought I would lead worship and do this for the rest of my life and, and write songs and do all that kind of stuff. And that's what I thought my life would look like. And I, let me guess, tell you, I was very happy with that life. Like, I feel like I can do this is easy for me. I enjoy it. I'm good. Like, I'm good. I'm gifted in it. Right. And like, man, I would just love to do that. Well, guess what? There was a seed that God planted on the inside of me. And that seed had been in there since the, before I was born. God put that inside of me. God put that inside of Stephanie. God knew that we would get married one day and God knew that we would go through a time of prayer and fasting. And when we go through a time of prayer and fasting, those things that God may be placing in your life right now begin to get watered. It creates fertile soil and all of a sudden things start to grow. And this thing that we didn't even set out to do, here we are, you know, years later and we've started this church and we're doing something that every day requires me to have a lot more faith in God than I did the day before. And it all came from a time of prayer and fasting. We were going through a time of prayer and fasting. We just had Lucy, right? We had a newborn baby. She was less than a year old. And that was our third baby. And let me tell you, if y'all don't know Lucy, she's a firecracker. All right, so we had our hands full. And we go through this time of prayer and fasting. And I just feel something stirring. I can't explain it. Something was just stirring inside of me. And I know it was God because I wasn't sitting out to do this. And I came to Stephanie, who at this time, the furthest she thought in the future, this is not a knock, she's just a mom. The first she thought about in the future is what are we having for dinner? Like, what am I making for dinner right now? Like, that's, that's how far she's taking in the future. And I come to her and I'm like, hey, babe, can you sit down? Okay. Uh, I feel like God might be calling us to start a church. What do you think about that? And she was like, Clint, I'm just trying to get to snack time right now. I can't waste time. I said, well, hey. Just all I'm asking you to do is just pray about it during the fast. 
And so she did. And at the end of the fast, she did not come to tell me, yes, let's go. Let's move tomorrow, Clint. It's like I was there, but she wasn't there yet. She said, God didn't tell me no. That's what she told me after all this. And I said, I'll take it. That's fine. That's better than no. And so through more prayer, more fasting, this began to grow more and more and more until we're here, right? So here's what I know. There are things that God has planted inside of you. It might not be starting church, but it might be, hey, what's happening? Oh, sorry. I heard the lady counting in my ears. Um, But there might be some things that God has planted inside of you that he's waiting for you to take the noise out of this world and just focus for a second. And whenever you can drown out that stuff, you can really tune into what God's telling you to do. And these things are going to start to grow. I'm telling you, I've seen God do it time and time and time again. And so I want to encourage us, okay, let's like lean into this next 21 days. Who knows what a month from now is going to look like in your life? And here's the deal. The thing that God grows might just barely be sprouting above the soil. It might be small, but it's going to be growth. And eventually, that's going to turn into something that's going to have some fruit on it. And so fasting creates that fertile soil. So two things about fasting that I want you to do this week. Right? Here's my two challenges to you. First thing is this. This is where you need to start. Discover what you need to fast for. What do I mean by that? Okay, what in your life do you need to be praying about right now? Maybe it's a relationship with one of your kids. They've run from God. Guess what? The next 21 days, start next week. You can start now. Yes, you can do whatever you want. If it's next week, for 21 days, I'm praying for them. Every time I get hungry, every time I want to reach at my phone and look at Instagram or Facebook, every time I want to turn the TV on, I'm going to, instead of doing that, I'm going to pray for them by name. God, would you help this person? Would you help them just come back to you, God? Would you start working? I'm telling you, you start diving into prayer like that over something change will happen. All right. Maybe for you, you have something that you and your family are trying to do. You have a goal you want to reach. You have a dream in your heart. You have something that, that you just, it's stirring. Like, God, I don't, I need some guidance here. I need some guidance with this decision at work. I need this guidance on, okay, what house would God, would you provide the right house for us this next 21 days? When you feel the need to reach for that thing that you're giving up, you're going to pray for this instead. So find out first, before you find out what you're fasting from, find out what you need to fast for. Like, okay, God, and you have a week to kind of figure this out. What are you going to be praying for? I know for Stephanie and I, we're going to be praying for Easter. I would encourage everyone in here, if you don't have anything in your life you need to pray about, pray for Easter every week, every time, every day, pray for Easter. God, would you bring the people in this community here, the lost people in this community here, they can come to know Jesus. God, pray for Stephanie now. Pray for this church. Pray for your family. Pray for your job. Pray for yourself professionally. That's not a bad thing. It's not a selfish thing to pray for, but pray. When it, find out what you need to be fasting for. And the second thing is this, discover what you need to fast from. So once you figure out, I need to be fasting for this reason, here's what I need to give up. And, I, and there's not a correlation between how big of a prayer you're asking and how miserable you're going to be during the fast. All right? I'm, not, I'm not saying that, but I do think once you kind of figure out, okay, why am I fasting? What am I begging God for? What am I asking God for? I think that can influence your decision to figure out what you need to fast from. And so, like for me, if I was praying, like when we were praying for this church, I mean, we were giving up, we were doing the Daniel fast and the Daniel fast ain't easy, but it was one of the best spiritual experiences I've ever had in my life was those 21 days. And that's something that honestly, the first time we started to fast, I was looking at, I was, I was dreading it. 
in our church at the time for the staff, we had an all-day prayer service, like eight hours. And that came across my calendar, and I was like, they got to be high. There's no way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall asleep. You know, I'm going to be like one of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so I was miserable. I was like, there's no way. And so, but we decided to lean in, and that was one of the greatest times of uh, defined our life. I mean, it was crazy. So, hey, and, and so what I'm telling you is when you have something you figure you're going to pray for, it's going to motivate you to figure out what do I need to fast from? Like what's going to, what's going to, this is a weird way of saying it, but what's going to hurt when it's gone a little bit? That's going to make me turn to God and go, okay, God, like I need you right now because I really want to do this, but I'm instead of focusing on this, I'm choosing to focus on you. Here's what we're doing. I'll tell you what we're doing for the fast. Um, y'all don't have to do this. You can either do a food fast. All right. Some people have given up food, straight up food for 21 days. I'm not going to recommend that to you. Your doctor and you can figure out that's going to be good for you. But you can do that. If God's going to do that, do that. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to do something called Whole30. It's an eating plan that's, you know, no processed foods, all whole foods. No dairy. That's going to, whoo, all right, no dairy. All right, we're going to do that. No bread, nothing like that. We're going to do that. But in addition to that, something that we're doing as a family, because our kids, y'all know they ain't going to do Whole30 with us, but they're going to still be liking their chicken nuggets. But what we're doing for a family is we're actually giving up all entertainment. No Netflix, no YouTube, nothing. Like, we're going to just straight up, no screens, essentially, for, for 21 days. We've done that in the past. That was much harder than food. Let me tell you, if you live a life like we do, oh, gosh, it's going to be hard. So, and give yourself some grace. We did that one year, and we decided to do family movie nights on Friday still. So, we would give up TV all week, and then on Friday nights, we'd sit down, and we'd watch a movie, and that would kind of level the kids off a little bit, give them a little fix from their drug, right? And they, they were good at that. So, but that's something that we're doing. Um, and we would encourage you to figure out what do you need to fast for and what do you need to fast from? Does that make sense? Everybody, are we cool on the same page? All right. So here's what we have for you. You're thinking, okay, Clint, I know what I need to pray for, but my goodness, I've never done this before. This sounds daunting. Great. We have these resources for you. They're out in the lobby, completely free. Um, this is our gift to you. This is essentially just a prayer guide. And so this has different prayers in here that you can follow. This has like the Lord's Prayer, the Prayer of Jabez, some different scriptures you can pray. And so if you're kind of lost and don't know what you need to do, pick up one of these, and this will guide you. And this, you can find a plan in here and just pray this. And then I think doing that, God will help you kind of figure out where you need to be for the next one days. Take this as a guide. If you're a little intimidated or whatever, we have this for you. We'd love for you to do that. All right? Everyone good? Y'all ready for the message? Here we go. That was not the message, but we're going to get into the message right now. I'm tired of this message, Grave Clothes, and I'm super excited about it. I love this idea because we're going to talk about a story that everyone in here has probably heard before. If you haven't, you're really going to like this story, but this is about a miracle that Jesus did that if you were to rank his miracles like 1 to 10, this would be possibly the top miracle that he ever did, right? And it, I'm, I'm excluding like rising from the dead and being born of a virgin, all right? Let's exclude those. Those are pretty good. They're in a different category, I think. Of the other miracles he did for like other people, this would rank top, the top one, top three for sure against everybody. So, uh, but before I get there, how many people, let me ask you this, have you ever uh, wanted to do something and, but you didn't have the right, like, clothes on. Have you ever had that before? Anything ever happened like that before? Okay. I'm not going to ask for examples. So this is a little dicey, but I'm going to give you an example in my life. So, Stephanie and I got married 11 years ago. Not 12. 11. Okay. We got married 11 years ago. And uh, 
we went on a Disney cruise for our anniversary, which we've never done a Disney cruise. Take out a second loan and go do it. It's really fun. It's really great. But we did one for our honeymoon. It left out of L.A. And you guys know how it is. Like, if you're married in here, your wedding day, you do not remember your wedding day. At least we don't. I mean, it was a blur. We had, how many people showed I mean, we had hundreds of people at our wedding, huge wedding, and we were just talking to people. We didn't get to eat all this amazing stuff that Thomas's mom made for our wedding. And I mean, we didn't get a drink of milk. There was nothing. I mean, I'm talking, we were just talking to people, happy, and then we left, you know, and we went to Opryland Hotel and we get there. We were just so tired. And so the next morning we wake up and my brother is picking us up from the hotel super early and taking us to the airport because ain't nobody want to see their parents after you get married, right? <laughs> so we, we get my mom and dad. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't lie. Uh, we, we, we get my mom and dad or my, my brother picking us up at the airport. And his only job, he was the best man, his only job the day of the wedding was to hand me her ring and to get my clothes and take them and put them in his car so when he picks us up, I have my nice clothes, like, to go on this cruise with. So I needed, we needed the nice clothes. And so we had this, uh, we had this reservation on the boat at this restaurant called Palo. It's reservation only. It's super fancy. It has a dress code. Like, you have to wear, you know, nice slacks and a collared shirt and, you know, a jacket. I don't remember if jackets on there, but, like, you had to dress up. You can't just roll up in there in flip-flops and shorts and a tank top. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to wear something nice. And my something nice was with my brother. Like he had to go pick it up from where we were changing, get ready for the wedding, bring it to us. So he picks us up that morning, takes us to the airport. He gets the bag of clothes. I put it in our suitcase and we head off to LA. We get on the boat the next day and fast forward. It was like one of the last nights of the cruise. And we've been looking forward to this all week. I'm like, oh, maybe a few nights we're going to Palo. It's going to be nice. You know, like we're we going to eat. It's going to be great. So we show up or we get to our room. We're about to change to get ready to go to Palo. And we open up this bag that my brother got me or that my brother brought with him. And I take the pants out and my son wouldn't fit in these pants. They were so small. And I'm thinking, you dirty dog. Right now, I can't. And so I'm like, okay, these pants were for my friend who's also at a wedding that weighed 110 pounds. I mean, the little bitty guy. Clearly, I couldn't get my foot in this thing, you know. So I'm like, okay, well, let's call them. It's our honeymoon. They'll make it. It's Disney. They'll make an exception. We call guest services, and we're like, hey, here's the deal. We just got married. We're on our honeymoon. We've made reservations for this year. We're so excited. Please, um, can we just come in jeans? I had jeans. They go, no, sir, you can't come in jeans. You're going to have to rent a tux if you want to come. And you can go do that at this place. I'm like, I'm not spending $700 on one of your tuxes right now. And so I got really mad, and we ended up not being able to go to Palo. We had hot dogs on the pool deck that night. I'm like, we have fallen hard, you know. And so I remember doing that, and we couldn't go because I didn't have the right clothes on. And so I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, and you're like, man, I'd really like to do this. But life is kind of full of situations like that. Like, you've never seen a fireman go into a burning building wearing sweatpants and an undershirt, right? No, why? Because... He would die. He doesn't have the right clothes on. But if he's got the right gear on, he can fulfill what he's been called to do, right? Like life is full. You've never seen uh, Michael Phelps at the Olympics wearing a three-piece suit about to jump into the thing to, to try to swim for gold. Why? Because that doesn't work for what he was made to do. That man's made to swim. He's got to be in a speedo. You know, like he's got to he's got to wear one of those things on his head. You know, he's got to shave all the. That's just what he has to do. Because what you wear 
is very, very important to what you are called to do. So we're going to look at a very familiar story. And I'm going to do this in record time. Well, I only got 15 minutes, so we're going to knock it out. And so if everyone would just turn your Bibles, turn on your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 11, and I'm going to kind of, in chunks, we're going to read this story. But it's the story of Lazarus. You ever heard of that story, Jesus and Lazarus? It's a really great story. It says this in chapter 11, verse 1. It says, a man named Lazarus, y'all say Lazarus. He was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Y'all have heard about Mary and Martha before. They're all over. They were Jesus' friends. Uh, this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Y'all remember that story? This is the same, same person. So her brother's sick. Her brother Lazarus was sick. Uh, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus. So Jesus is in a, a town a few miles away, and they knew Jesus was there. They were friends. And they said, Jesus... Uh, but they sent like an essential text message back in the day, which was a person on foot carrying a message to them, right? So he sent a message, and, uh, and it said this, Lord, your dear friend is very, very sick. So they're telling Jesus, like, hey, my, your bro- my brother, like your friend, he's really, really sick, right? But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, uh, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And then finally, he said to his disciples, all right, let's go back to Judea. So here's what's going on. Lazarus is a friend of Jesus. He's been around Jesus. He stayed at, his, he stayed at Lazarus' house before Jesus has, and they're friends and he gets word, and I'm assuming this word conveyed, like, hey, he's sick. If you don't come, he's going to die. Like, he's he's on his deathbed. Something's happened. We have no idea what kind of sickness he had, but it was not good. It was bad enough to where Mary Watts was like, find Jesus and get him here. And so Jesus gives this message. I'm a, we have to assume that he knew the urgency of this. He's Jesus. He knows everything. He knows the urgency. He knows how sick Lazarus is. And he looks at him and goes, Ah, don't worry about it. This ain't, ain't going to end with Lazarus dying. It's going to be fine. And you can imagine the messenger's like, you want me to go back and tell them this? Like, he might be dead by the time I get there. And so the messenger goes back, tells them, and Jesus just parks it. He's only two and a half, three miles away, by the way. He could walk that. He could run a 5K and get to Lazarus' house and fix all this. But he stays where he was. And he says, hey, there's a bigger picture going on here that you don't know about yet. But he stays. And then the messenger goes back. So then Jesus, a few days later, looks at his disciples and says, all right, now it's time to go to Judea. That's where Lazarus lived. And then it says this in verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Y'all say four days. It's very important. We're going to get there in a second. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. Now, you know she wasn't going out there to, like, grovel at his feet. Martha's a little upset, okay? She goes, she's like, I'm about to meet this man out in front of this town because I'm going to let him have it a little bit, right? So she goes out, and uh, she wants to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know God will give you whatever you ask. And so she's kind of like throwing a Hail Mary here. But she's like, if you would have just been on time, like this wouldn't have happened. Have you ever been there before with God, by the way? Like, God, if you would have just been on time, 
this wouldn't have happened. God, if you had just done this, let me tell you, God is always on time. He's never early. A lot of times we want God to be early. We want him to show up early, but he's never early, but he's always on time. That has nothing to do with the message, but y'all can have that. Okay. And then she said, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But she says, I know that whatever you ask, you can make happen. So she still has got a little bit of faith. And then Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And you can almost feel the eye roll that Martha's about to give Jesus whenever she says this. Like, how many of you ever had a good eye roll done at you? You've said something and like, Stephanie is the greatest eye roller of all time, you know? So I can see her doing this. I was laughing when I was reading this. Um, and, and she said, yes, Martha said, I know he's going to rise again when everyone else rises on the last day. She's like, yeah, I know. I know what you've said. You said on the last day, the dead are going to rise and I get that. Like, yeah, of course. And you can feel her just getting a little frustrated. She's a little disappointed. She's very disappointed in this moment. And Jesus said, hey, no, no, no. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die again. Do you believe this, Martha? So he's looking at her, and he's like, hey, listen, you don't understand. I am the resurrection. I can do whatever I want. Like, death trembles when I walk by. Do you believe that, Martha? And Martha's kind of left with this question she has to answer. She says this. She says, yes, Lord. I've always believed in you. I've always believed that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who came, or the one who's come into the world from God. She answers the question. But she still feel, feels hopeless. Why? Because the Jewish people back then, they had a superstition. I don't know if y'all know this or not. Uh, she had, they had a superstition that when a body, when a person would die, their spirit would hover over the body for three days. And it was in case a priest wanted to come by and try to convince the spirit to go back into the body so that they would come back to life. It actually wasn't an uncommon thing. Like it was uncommon, but it had happened even outside of Jesus before it had happened. And they had this superstition that man, the, 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 the spirits hovering on the body for, for three days and, and he can he can come back. If Jesus just came and he was on time, like he could go back to life. But the Bible is very clear. John is painting a picture for the people that he's writing this to. He's writing it to Jews. Jews would have read this and saw that he had been buried for four days. That means, okay, that three-day period is over. The spirit has gone to be in heaven now. And so it's like impossible for him to get risen from the dead. Martha knows this. And that's why she goes to Jesus. She says, Jesus, if you would have just been here a little sooner, you could have actually done something about this. Like you could have risen him from the dead, but you're too late. It's been four days. And Jesus is like, you don't understand I don't give a rip about this superstition. I am the resurrection. I, anyone that believes in me, they can find life again. And so Jesus, and this, this whole story happens, uh, it takes the whole chapter, chapter 11, it takes the whole chapter to tell the story. So Jesus eventually goes, okay, take me to where the body is. Uh, like, take me to his grave. And uh, people assume that he was wanting to go and he was wanting to see Lazarus to kind of pay his last respects. But the problem is that there was a big old stone in the way of the tomb. So the Bible tells us that this tomb was inside of a cave and it smelled bad. And there was a lot of, they, they buried dead people together inside caves. And so there was a lot of death inside this cave. And so they would roll the stone out of the way. They would put the new body in and they would roll it shut before it started to smell bad because they didn't have all the stuff we had today. So he gets to this cave and there's a big stone in front of the opening. And then the Bible says this, starting in verse 39. He says this, it says, 
Roll the stone aside, Jesus told me. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he's been in there for four days. Like he said it again, like, again, like hey, like you don't need to go see him. The, the, the spirit is gone. And he's been in there for four days. The smell will be terrible. That's what she says. In the King James, it says, it stinketh, right? Like it, it smells, man. He's been gone. It's hot. We live in the desert. Like it's gross in there, dude. Don't open the, don't open the stove. And Jesus responded. He said, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you just believe? So Jesus had this way about it. And so they rolled away the stone. Now I want you to pay attention. It says, so they rolled away the stone. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and he says this. He doesn't pray for strength. He doesn't pray, God, would you just give me this ability? No, listen to what he prays. Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe in you. So he's like, hey, you've already given me authority. You've already given me the power. But show these people who you really are. Show these people who I am. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. I just heard my voice twice. That was like <laughs> the Holy Spirit, baby. That was nice. A nice touch right there. I mean, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were bound in grave clothes. I'll say grave clothes. His face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them again, unwrap him and let him go. I love this story. And we're going to dive into part of the story that I don't know if we've ever thought about before. I think it's interesting. Jesus, who just is about, he's at this point, he's about to raise a person that is dead, like dead, dead. They're so dead, they start, they're starting to stomach. He, he's about to rise and raise them from the dead. And he looks and he tells some other people, hey, I need you to go roll that stone away. And if you know anything about Jesus, and these people knew about Jesus, they're probably thinking, that lazy dude wants us to run. He can just make the body appear out here, right? He can roll the stone away with his magical powers. Like he can do whatever he wants. I've seen him make blind people see. I've seen him multiply food. I was like, and they've seen him do all these things. And he's like, hey, why don't you go roll the stone away? Jesus always gives us an opportunity to be involved in what he is doing. And so he looks at them and says, hey, you go move the stone away. So they go move the stone away. And then he shouts, he says, Lazarus, come out. Now, I think it's pretty funny because he had to like specify who he wanted to come out of that grave. If he would have just said, come out, everybody in that grave would have just come out. You know, that's the type of power that Jesus has. He can speak and things happen. So he says Lazarus' name so that no one of these other people would come out. But he says, Lazarus, come out. And I want to put us there in that position for a second. Imagine you're standing outside, the sun is bright, you're at this cave, it smells bad, because Lazarus is not risen from the dead yet, he moves the stone away, you're doing this, right? And you're also thinking, what is this dude about to do? This dude's about to do something crazy. And you're just, I can imagine just being silent. And everyone feels super awkward because they have no idea what's about to happen. 
They roll the stone away, and all they can see is just an empty black hole into this cave. And Jesus walks up to the edge of it, and he says, Lazarus, come out. You feel how quiet it is in here right now? You could hear a pin drop at that moment. And all of a sudden, they hear something coming from inside the cave. It's rustling, right? There's, there's something happening. There's, they can tell something is moving in there. And they're like, it's an animal. Like something got trapped. That's what I would be thinking. Like, okay, a raccoon got in there. That thing's about to come out of here like a bat on a hill, right? It's, it's bad. They hear something moving. And then they hear something that sounds like it's just like hopping. And all of a sudden, in that black hole where the stone used to be, they see a person that's wrapped up. Their hands and feet are tied together, and they're having to jump. Ooh, ooh. And all of a sudden, they realize, holy crap, that's Lazarus. I mean, can you imagine? There's probably some people sobbing, like his sisters are probably like, I mean, complete disbelief. If you're like me, I'd be gone, dude. I'd be running away from there. I'm like, that's freaky, right? And some people are probably just standing there with jaws on the floor, like, oh my gosh, that just happened. Oh my Jesus, what just happened, right? And they're, they're freaking out. And all of a sudden, Lazarus comes out and he's alive again. Like, he's alive. He was just dead. He's alive again. He comes out, but the problem is this it's just because he was alive in that moment. He could not live the life that God called him to live. Why? Because the Bible says that he was still bound up. His hands were tied together. His feet were tied together. And he was wrapped up in grave clothes. I don't care how alive you are. That's no way to live life. But here's what I know. Is that there's a lot of people in this room right now. There's a lot of people in this community. They've been made alive. God's called them from death to life. They're Christians. They're going to go to heaven when they die. They're, God, the Bible says, has made them alive in Christ. But the problem is, is that they're still wearing grave clothes. They still have some things that bind them together. And you can never live the life that God's called you to live if you're still wearing grave clothes. So I want you to write this down today. And this is literally my only point today is this. Grave clothes are anything that holds you back from everything that God created you to be. So grave clothes are anything that holds you back from everything that God created you to be. Man, Lazarus in that moment could not live the life that God created him to live because he was bound up. I know that there are some people in here. Man, you, you, you've been made alive in Christ, but you're still wearing grave clothes. There's still something holding you back. There's still something binding you up, keeping you from living the life that God has created you to live. And that's no way to live. And I want to celebrate that God has raised you back to life, but I also want to recognize that you can't live the life God's created you to live, that he's raised you to live if you're still in grave clothes, if your feet are still bound, if your hands are still bound, if you're still wrapped up tightly. And so many of us have so many things that we're wrapped up in, habits that we can't kick. For some of us, it might be an addiction. It might be a toxic relationship, a bad habit. It might be your health. It might be your phone. It might be screens, social media, your friends. Whatever it is, you got some grave clothes on. And Jesus, in this moment, we just brush by this because this amazing miracle happens. But a very important part of this miracle is that Lazarus is unwrapped so he can live his life. 
And I just want to tell you today, God's brought you to life, but he wants to unwrap you so you can go run free, live the life that he's called you to live. It's You're not living life right if you're living wrapped up in grave clothes. And Jesus knows this. And literally, here's my only point today. I was banging my head against the wall trying to think of more. This is the only thing. And this is going to be a hard point for some of us to accept because we're wrapped up in stuff that we're ashamed of. Like, I don't want to share this with anybody because I'm ashamed that that I deal with this. I'm embarrassed to say that I deal with this. And I know that's the case. And let me tell you, I've lived a life like that, and it will eat you alive from the inside out. I've been Lazarus. I've been risen. God's saved me. But there were some things in my life that kept me wrapped up tight. I'm not, I was not able to run the race God called me to run. And I'm telling you, I know how you feel. You're still dealing with the same things that you've been dealing with for so long. Knowing that, man, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I have Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit. But you're still wrapped up in this stuff. And so here's the hard truth for us today. Taking off your grave clothes always requires other people to be involved. And that's a tough thing because you're thinking, okay, if other people are going to be involved, they're going to have to know what I'm going through. And I would look at you and say, exactly. It's the way God designed it. It's the way God meant for it to be. The Bible says this in James. It says, confess your sins to each other. Let me just put it a different way. Tell some other people what grave clothes you have on. Confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. Some of us have been delivered. God's done the work. He's raised us from the dead. We're alive. But God uses other people to bring the healing. And so some of us, this week, this week, like next seven days, here's my challenge to you. Let someone in on the grave clothes that you have on. Because a really important part of this story is Jesus didn't take the grave clothes off. Jesus looked at some other people and said, hey, go unwrap them. Like he needs your help. And I want to tell us, God did the hard part. God did the part that only he could do. And now he's wanting us to get involved and do the part that we need to do. He did the hard part. Now we got to do our part. And that part always involves other people. There's no way that Lazarus could have unwrapped himself. He was, it was like he's wearing a straitjacket. He was wrapped up. His feet were wrapped up. He couldn't have done it. He had to have someone else come. Let me tell you, you whatever great clothes you have on, you can't unwrap it yourself. You gotta bring people in on your life, say, "Hey, hey, I, I'm struggling with this right now. Like, this has been eating my lunch. Like, I, I, I'm addicted to this. I have this terrible habit. I always get angry. Whatever it is, like, hey, my wife and I, we're not doing very good right now, and that's holding us back right now. Hey, I made this mistake." years ago, but I feel like I just can't get loose from it. And Hey, Clint, I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with depression. Like sometimes I don't even want to get out of bed. Like sometimes I have panic attacks. I don't know what to do. And, and the thing is, is that a lot of us are dealing with these things all alone. And if you deal with them all alone, you're never going to get the grave clothes off of you. 
But Jesus in this story is telling us, hey, I did my part. How about you just tell somebody? How about you just let someone else come over here and unwrap you a little bit? And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Clint, I can't share that. If I share that, they're going to use it as a weapon against me. If I, if they know what I'm really dealing with, uh, they're going to think differently of me. No, they're not. When you share something with somebody like this, nine times out of ten, you know what they're going to look back and say? Me too. Hey, Clint, I really have a problem with pornography. Okay. I've struggled with that too. Hey, we're going to get through this together. Hey, Clint, I've struggled with anxiety, and sometimes I'm so depressed. I don't, like, I think about hurting myself. Hey, I know how you feel. We're going to get through this together. Well, let me help you. Hey, Clint, man, our marriage is really struggling. Uh, we're fighting all the time. Like we're, we're going to counseling. It doesn't seem to be helping. And I just, I don't know what I'm, hey, we got it. We're going to do this together. Well, let's, let's do this together. That's what you're going to be better with. You're not going to be met with, oh, what? No, oh, you deal with that? No, that's not how this works. That's not the place that Oasis is. I'm going to tell you right now. We're a place where we're going to help people find freedom. That's what we do. And so here's my challenge to you this week. It's tough. But part of being a pastor sometimes, I got to challenge you. This week, find one person you can share with. One person. Here's what I've learned. You don't have to tell everybody. Okay? I'm not going to get you up here and go, hey, would you just share with everybody just your deepest, darkest secret so that we can help you? No. Don't share with everybody. But share with somebody. Pull one of us aside. You can share with me. If you're a lady, share with her. But share. Just, just tell somebody. And I promise you, when you get it out into the light, darkness loses its grip. And those grave clothes start to fall off. But we all need help. We all need someone else that we can count on. I have these people in my life. And you know what? Not many of them are even in this room. Why? Because I might struggle with some stuff that I don't want to burden you guys with. I'm your pastor. I'm not going to sit up here and vomit all over you and just tell you how I want to quit sometimes. You know, I'm not going to do that to you. But I have other pastors in my life. I talk to them almost every day. And I share with them stuff. When stuff's going on in my life, they know. They know everything. We have overseers of this church. There are accountability. And when we're dealing with something, guess what? They know about it. And they're because I don't want to be wrapped up in great clothes. I want to run free. So I have people, and Stephanie has people, that they know us. And sometimes that's hard. But this week, don't tell everybody, but tell somebody. So here's all I did. We got the Holy Spirit music going right now. It's beautiful. I want us to just bow our heads and close our eyes. Okay? <clears throat> Invitation this week is simple. Pray. I want you right now, in this moment, God, show me the grave clothes I got on. And I want you to thank God. Show me who I need to tell this week. Just pray that. Jesus, I believe you're doing a deep work in us right now. God, I just ask. Actually, I don't have to ask. Your word tells us that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Jesus, we have complete confidence that when we start sharing these things with these people, there will be freedom happening. And the enemy's going to hate it, and I love that because that means the enemy is losing ground in our lives. God, I pray for the grave clothes that we're all wearing right now. 
God, would you begin to unwrap that this week as we start to share, as other people start to unwrap us, they start to remove our grave clothes. God, I pray that your presence would meet them there, that your goodness, your word tells us that your kindness is what leads us to repentance. So God, I just pray you would do what only you can do and help us do what we need to do, God. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.